my purpose is to love the world with all my heart. Welcome to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs, drivers, and social impactors who use purpose as the driver to achieve greatness. My name is Kobe Mponsa, and I'm here to provide you with priceless value that will last a lifetime. So let's get right into it. All right. So today we have Kofi Frempong, owner and founder of Kofi's Arts. Kofi is just crazy inspiring with his art. The attention to detail with his art is amazing. And it's just so impressive how it's so unique on its own. You know, I've, I've watched Kofi's journey from, from, from when I first met him years back and his journey has just been amazing. He's built up a massive community in Toronto behind his art. He also does live paintings, a variety of events. Um, he does he does his paintings at weddings, poetry shows, parties, and just so much more. Kofi is an extremely purpose-driven dude. And to paint the way he does, you have to be purpose-driven. So Kofi, thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure, man. So Kofi, how are you feeling right now in this instance? In this instance, um, I'm relaxed. I feel good. You look relaxed, man. You look relaxed. <laughs> Thank you. Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Ghana, but raised in Toronto. Um, so at the age of four, um, that's when I actually met my parents because they left me in the care of um, my extended family. Mm-hmm. Um, they were living in France at the moment, so they, they sent for me. Uh, um, we stayed in France for a year, moved to Montreal, for another year, and then finally landed in Toronto. And how old were you when you moved out of Ghana? I was four. Do you remember any of it? Yeah, man. I, funny enough, I have a lot of memories with my grandfather uh, from my dad's side and a lot of memories uh, with my grandmother from my mother's side. Got you. Got you. Now, you, when you moved to Toronto, what was that experience like for you living in Toronto? I mean, currently you're still in Toronto, correct? Yeah, yeah. So what's, what's that experience been like with, you know, living in Toronto pretty much the majority of your life? Um, I'd say for the most part, my experience has been good. Um, I always feel like I, I've always had uh, support from the community from, from when I was six, when I got to Toronto. Uh, I know the area that I grew up in, Jane and Finch, it's, you know, stigmatized for being very violent and filled with crime. Um, but there's also another side to it, the side that um, I definitely experienced and embraced, is, and, and that's uh, the sense of community. Um, so I've had a lot of, like, really great role models, mentors, um, support in my business, support in my education. It's, yeah, a long list. So I, I've had a really great experience uh, living in Toronto. Um, not to say that it was perfect, you know, because racism still exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, it, it's been good. 
All right. And, you know, given the fact that you, you grew up in Jane and Finch, mm. you could, one can argue that there's, you, you know, when you're in Jane and Finch, you could, you could have went down a path that could have been the wrong path, right? You could have maybe hung around the wrong crowd. Um, but how were you able to stay level-headed, you know, within that, within that space, within, within that environment? Was it, was it kind of by chance? Was it like your own thinking? How did you, you know, how, where was your mindset at during that time? That's a great question. Um, great series of questions. Um, I'd say it's a combination of things. Um, so the era that I grew up in, um, the guys that were considered uh, hood dudes, drug dealers, uh, hood criminals, um, they operated with a, with a certain code. Mm. Um, and I think I benefited from that code. So they saw a, little, a lot of potential in me. Um, they knew my curfew, so they would send me home. Um, they always encouraged me not to follow the same path that they followed. Uh, whatever it is that they saw in me, like, you know, um, they just didn't want me to follow that path. Um, I'd say that a great influence from my parents, my dad, great example, my mom as well, you know, two hardworking Ganyan parents, immigrants. <laughs> um, just my circle of friends as well. Like, you know, not to say that they were perfect and, you know, they didn't do their dirt, uh, but there was always a level of respect for me where uh, there wasn't much pressure for me to to go down a certain path, you know? And then for myself, my own thinking, um, I learned from a very young age, literally just to go with who I am. And um, I've always been the type of person just to respect people, um, see a lot of value in me as an individual, um, do things that I thought made sense and not necessarily what um, the crowd kind of kind of beckoned me to follow, so to speak. Kind of thought out thinking on your own. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. And what was high school like for you? What were your aspirations in high school? Oh man, high school, high school. Um, I went in, I guess the only thing that I could like really cling on to the two things was um, basketball and art. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I was a decent basketball player. I thought maybe I would have a future. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it didn't happen. Who um, dreams? Yeah. But above that, like I, I was really good at art and that's what I was mainly known for. Um, I was also like a, a well-rounded athlete. So I played different sports. Um, I got along well with my, my peers. Um, in school, I was definitely an underachiever. Um, to me, it just didn't make any sense. I, I, I was under the impression that all I had to do was pass and just move on to the next level, <laughs> college or university. Uh, later on, I realized that, you know, maybe I should have applied myself a lot more. Uh, just the benefits that comes with, you know, getting good grades and, and all of that. Um, but for the most part, I had a really good um, high school experience. Okay. All right. And what age, you know, was it before high school where you were really 
you know, you really found your talent in painting? Like, where did that, where did that come from? Um, my talent in painting didn't come until, ah, geez, maybe like seven years ago. Hmm. That's fairly recent. Yeah. Well after high school, well after college, university, um, it really, like, in fact, it was the opposite. I, I had a lot of anxiety hmm. when it came to painting. I was really good at, at drawing. That's what I was known for. And I guess the part of me that was uh, really insecure was that um, I had built my identity mainly around being a great artist. I'm sure I was known for being an athlete as well, but like mainly around being a great artist. Um, and you know, high school can be brutal sometimes. Um, so for me, there was this fear of, you know, I'm a re I could draw really well. If I start something new that I'm not good at, now I'm no longer at the top, but, you know, I'm amongst <laughs> the commenters. <laughs> you know, I'm building up my skills, and I see how people who aren't at the top of their game get treated, um, and I just didn't want any of that. So a lot of anxiety built up from that. I used to skip a lot of um, my art assignments that had to do with painting. A couple of times I almost failed out of um, art class in um, high school. And just, yes. just, just to take a quick step back, mm -hmm. what's, the, what's your definition of, or I mean, what is the definition of painting versus drawing? Because I know they're different, but I don't understand the key, key difference. Can you break that down before you? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, drawing is usually done with uh, pencil, pen, uh, charcoal. Uh, painting, usually you have paint, either watercolor, oil. Um, acrylic, you know, so it's like a brush and paint versus um, uh, a pen, pencil, or any kind of tool that you can use to draw images. So it's a different thing altogether. It's not like if you're a good drawer or you're immediately a good painter. If you're a good drawer, it definitely helps Got you. when you're painting. But for me, I felt like I had more control with the pencil. Mm. You know, and some, some people who paint, they may feel like they have more control with the brush. It really depends on the individual. Okay. So your anxiety came from the fact that you were transitioning to something that maybe you didn't have as much control over. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was in this comfortable phase. It's like I didn't have no real issues with anybody in school. Um, I was a popular kid um, doing enough to pass my classes, got along well with my teachers, like, and on the flip side, I'm seeing kids get bullied, kids get isolated, um, quite the opposite experience that I was having. So for me to like, the possibility of going down that route, I just, I just wasn't feeling, I, I really enjoy just being myself and, and literally just not having to do anything to like necessarily fit in. Funny enough, by me not exploring um, painting, I was just doing that. You know, I kind of dimmed my potential to kind of like fit in and maintain um, the level of comfort that I had, so so that like you know there wouldn't be any issues. Got you. Yeah. 
So what, why did you, so you eventually started painting because that's what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. But where did the interest to get over that anxiety come from? How did you, how did you overcome that? Um, okay, so another one of my passions is like work, like community work, working in the social sector. Um, so I'm a community health worker. Uh, I designed this community initiative where it was a platform for artists of the community to come together showcase their talents, um, and then just have community celebrate with them. Um, initially, getting the artists to come out was a little bit of a challenge because, you know, a lot of people are shy. They don't want to put themselves out there. So I would always talk to people and say, hey, you got to get out of your comfort zone. you you got to try something new, um, expand your capacity to be able to handle things so that you can grow. I sat back and really thought about it. Yo, I'm telling people this. Look in the mirror, meanwhile, bro. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, I'm here like a full-out coward, afraid to start painting. Mm. So I was like, I know I got anxiety around this stuff. Um, I know it's like it's a major fear. So just to not be a hypocrite, let me just follow my own advice. Um, so at one of the events, there was like over 500 people. It was in... Um, Yorkgate Mall, um, out in the open area, uh, I decided to do my first painting, which was a live painting. Wow. Um, yeah. First one, live. Yeah. Just decided, Kobe mentality, Mamba mentality, eh? just <laughs> go right into it. Jeez. Yep, yep, literally. Um, I jumped into it. First 10 minutes, obviously, I'm, I'm scared. I'm frightened. The thoughts that are going through my head, yo, there's so many people watching. Mm. Who's making fun of me? Um, uh, am I going to do a good job? What are people expecting to see? What do I paint? And then at some point, I was just like, yo, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I have this moment right here. Um, i not expected to create a masterpiece. Half of these people don't even know that I'm not a painter. Um, let me just enjoy the process. And then whatever happens, happens. And literally to this day, that is my artistic process. I create for myself. As long as I'm enjoying uh, the act of creating, that's all that matters. Interesting. Mm. So that there's no like planning or thought process that goes through your head before you even start? Um, I wouldn't say that. I, okay. Like, so there's times where I reference um, p- pieces. Gotcha. So like I'll take a photograph and then make it my own. Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where I'll have like concepts in my head, kind of abstract, but not, not, nothing really solid. Uh, there's other times where I'll just have a color scheme in my head. Hmm. But most of the time, I start off with um, a cadmium yellow backdrop, and then things just start coming to me as... I apply the paint. Got you. Yeah. It's interesting. I I, I want to get in the mind of Kofi as you're painting. <laughs> like, I wonder if, like, does your mind just see colors or does your mind see, like, specific scenarios, like a certain event that happened that kind of sparks your brain to paint a certain way? Yeah. Like, how does your mind work while you're painting? Oh, man. So that process actually happens before, after, and during. So, 
before I start painting, let's say within the week, within the month, um, I'll be looking at a painting, one of my paintings, somebody else's painting, and I'll literally paint certain things with my mind. Kind of wow. like information gathering. Um, I don't do it for a specific reason. I don't even know when, like what I am taking in is gonna come out on the canvas. I just, it's just like my natural personality. Mm. Um, I like to connect with people, so I have conversations, music, everything just gets downloaded into my mind so that once I'm actually painting, um, kind of like muscle memory, some of it just like comes out on the canvas. So like techniques, um, even while I'm painting, I'll see the piece come together without me actually like making the strokes. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. So a lot of it is based on feeling, um, but I would say like it's a subconscious um, outcome of what I've downloaded uh, prior to p painting the piece. Jeez. So you're a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. That's, that's powerful stuff, man. That's, that's powerful. Wow. Thanks, man. So Kofi, you know, I think – Painting, painting and drawing, you know, I think, is it something that can be taught, you know, or is it something that is a talent or is it a combination of both? Because I don't know if there's any hope for me, man. I'm still stuck on stick figures. I've been stuck on stick figures my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> is, is painting something that can be taught or is it more of a talent or is it a combination of both? Where's your thought? What's your thoughts on that? I think it's both, bro. Um, I think that you can definitely be taught techniques and that could give you the foundation to start creating. And with anything, the more practice and dedication that you put to it, you're going to see improvements. Um, then there's the other perspective, which are people who are self-taught. And a lot of it really comes from, again, practice, applying yourself, um, not, being able, not being afraid to try new things um, and having a genuine curiosity for, for um, exploring endless possibilities. You know, so like you'll, you'll have people that are classically trained, formally trained, and then you'll have people like myself who are self-taught, um, and I think both can exist. Got you. So you, have you had any, I guess, formal training or mentors for your paintings at all? Um. I wouldn't say formal. So like I, I did do design foundations at Humber College. Um, at the age that I went, I just wasn't in the mind frame to take anything in. So I wouldn't say I necessarily got anything from it. And then I did uh, art fundamentals at Centennial College. Again, those were like, you know, some tuition money wasted, uh, time wasted because it was more so on me, not so what they were teaching. I just, I just wasn't in the right mind frame. I was more, you know, focused on everything else but <laughs> what I was being taught. Got you. Mm -hmm. All right. And at what point, because you, you said you just started this seven years ago, and that's, that's still crazy to me because the way your paintings look, I'm looking at the paintings right now behind you. Like, it looks... It looks like you're polished, man. It looks like you're a vet in the game. I mean, you are a vet in the game, but yeah. 
you know, when I say vet, I'm not thinking seven years. I'm thinking at least 10 years minimum, Yeah, you know? So, um, you know, at what point did you realize, man, I'm actually, I'm actually good at painting. You know, I I got this down packed. Um, I realized that I was good after my first painting. After the first Um, one? Yeah. I realized that I got down pat maybe a year later. Hmm. Yeah. My focus really wasn't to be an amazing painter right away. Um, I was just like, honestly curious. Yo, what if I do this? What if I do that? I would ask my boy, we've been friends since the first grade and he's an amazing artist. So um, since the first grade, it's been me and, me and him creating. Mm-hmm. Um, he went a different route. He took uh, the formal training and I was more like self-taught, but I would often pick his brain. So he would give, give me techniques to try out. I would totally get them wrong. And in the process of getting them wrong, I would develop my own style from that. Hmm. There's multiple ways to skin a cat. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Kofi, you've built up a very strong community of people who love your work. You know, even on mm-hmm. your Instagram page, you have 20,000 plus followers and and every post that you post, there's, there's people who are well engaged in the comments. What is it about your artwork that attracts so many people to it? Oh, man. Um, I'll tell you my assumption, and then I'll tell you the feedback that I get from people. Mm-hmm. My assumption is that people feel like a genuine joy in creating. Um, and I, I, I assume that it, it translates in my artwork. Um, the different things that I get from people is that uh, they see themselves in my artwork. Um, they feel good when they see my pieces. Um, they see a lot of expression. Uh, the colors make them feel good. Um, some people literally see themselves. They feel like it's a portrait of them. Hmm. Um, others say that they can relate because it speaks to their blackness, um, their African uh, identity, even if um, they're not necessarily from any particular place in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's more of a, a genuine feeling that um, they get when they see my pieces. That's the feedback that I get from people. Got you. Okay. So there's another concept that I want to, I want to talk about as well. You know, there's always this, this saying, you know, and I'm sure you've heard of it, the starving artist, right? <laughs> but Kofi, you're not a starving artist to me, man. You've, you've, you're a game changer. Um, yeah. You sold hundreds, if not thousands of paintings. You know, you've done tons of live events. Um, mm-hmm. You have an event where it's called Paint and Sound, right? So yeah. you're, you're doing paint, live paintings, and then you have a DJ as well. Um, how do you come up with these creative idea, ideas to monetize your business? And then also, what advice do you have for artists or anyone in general who is trying to monetize their business? Oh, great questions. Um, so the first part of the question is, how do I come up with these creative, creative ideas to monetize my business? Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the fun parts of running the business, realizing that there's so many different branches as artists that you can literally develop to make money. Um, so for me, it's figuring out 
um, what people want and creating something from that. Um, so for example, the whole um, uh, paint party thing, it's not a brand new concept. Um, the way that we do it, it's a little bit different from the norm, but um, it's, it's modeled around my, my creative process. So where people have guided classes, I don't. When you enter that space, you're coming to literally just paint and create and not focus on uh, creating a masterpiece, not focused on anything else, but enjoying the time that you're there. Hence the music, the host, all of that. Um, so that's a little element of me and I'm sharing it with people. How that came about is um, I understand that when people are creating, there's a lot of anxiety around creating a masterpiece. Hmm. So taking away the element of a guided class for some is a level of comfort. It's like, ah, I could just enjoy myself. I understand that people like guided classes. Um, so I know my lane. I don't do that. A lot of other people do it. So I've been able to create a market for myself where people who are interested in just doing whatever they want can come. And there's another market for people who want guided classes. And that's like everywhere. Mm. Um, I've also learned that, you know, stuff around like licensing your artwork. Uh, for movies, TV shows, uh, magazines. That's another route. Um, the live painting at events. That's another route. You're providing an experience. Prints for people who may not necessarily be able to afford originals. It's really just like interacting with people, genuinely understanding how they experience art and creating um, an income stream from that really. <laughs> Got you. And then the last part on that too, you know, what advice would you have for artists or anyone in general to who's trying to monetize their business? Um, I, I would say invest a lot of time in um, coming up with different ways to uh, provide an experience. Mm. Um, Learn about how people experience artwork. Do they like to wear it? Do they like to just look at it? Do they like to like use it to decorate their homes? Um, figure out how people experience art. And then once you do that, you can always attach that to a particular service or a particular product. For example, right now, um, Masks are a big seller mm. during these times. So what a lot of artists are doing is that they're creating artwork on masks, and that seems to be doing really well. Prior to COVID, um, people were doing paint nights all over the city. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like this mm -hmm. is, these are the ways that people are experiencing art. So you just attach those ways uh, to your art, and you got yourself an income stream. Got you. Now, on this show, we only have purpose-driven entrepreneurs, creatives, and social impactors. You know, I said that at the beginning. But painting, you know, as I mentioned, it's not an easy business to be in. I, I don't think it's, it's definitely not easy. Um, and I'm going to guess 
you know, there were long stretches where you possibly, you know, weren't making as much as you're making right now. You know, I yeah. mean, you had to go through a lot of trials and tribulations. But what has kept you going on, you know, doing this artwork every single day? You know, I just want to know, like, I want to, what's the why behind it? The why? Um, one, I love creating. So just simple love of creating artwork keeps me going. Um, since my daughters were born, it, it's given me another why, uh, just to see how they've inherited the love for art with no pressure from me or my wife uh, for them to do so. It's really inspiring. Um, I know how art makes people feel. And people, again, experience art in so many different ways. But the feedback that I get from people, it's like, there's a lot of purpose behind this, you know? You can literally save lives with art. Mm. You can, art can be used as a form of therapy. The list goes on. So my contribution to the world through art, I find that there's a lot of purpose behind that. It's, it's very powerful. Um, so in terms of leaving a legacy, all of that is included. Um, it does afford me the opportunity to um, support myself as well as my family. Uh, so that's definitely another why. Um, and it also affords me the opportunity to create more opportunities to, for up-and-coming artists uh, who look like me, um, who kind of had the same experiences as me, you know. Got you. And Kofi, the thing I like about you as well is that you're very, you're very giving of information, but it seems like it's, it just comes back to you tenfold. Is that something you, you innately just do naturally or did you kind of develop into Like, why do you, why do you do that? Um, one, it feels good. <laughs> it feels good to see my people win, honestly. Yeah. Um, so not even to think that it's going to come back to me. I know it's always going to come back to me. Like imagine being, having a circle of boys, right? Let's say there's five of you guys and out of the five, you're the one that's doing really well. For one, like energetically, that doesn't feel good to know that you're doing well and your boys are struggling. Two, um, in life, we all have our ups and downs. So there's times where you're going to be down and then you look around with your boys and your boys are struggling just as much as you are. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's nobody to pick you up. You flip that scenario and it's like all five of you guys are doing really well. All five of you guys are flourishing. You can feed your family. Um, anything that you want, you really have at your disposal. So times where you're down either emotionally, financially, you know, you, you need some kind of opportunities, like your network of people that you can um, hit up for support is just, there's, it's just more. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, from, so from a num number standpoint, it makes sense. Uh, from an energetic standpoint, when the people around you are doing well, it also feeds into your own personal health and well-being as well. Yeah. You know, so, but to me, ultimately, it really feels good to see the people around me succeed. It doesn't ever take away anything from my success or uh, my well-being. So why not? Got you. So what's next for Kofi from Pong? <laughs> 
Oh, uh, what's next? Um, full-time work-at-home dad. Um, and just engaging in a whole bunch of big projects. Uh, projects uh, that touches the corporate world. Um, but also projects that allow me to stay grounded in community. Um, ultimately, I want my career to go in a direction where um, everything that I do is, is on my terms. For the most part, it's, that's how it is right now. Um, but I know as bigger opportunities come, stuff like that becomes more challenging. So um, it's really more about just uh, staying grounded, <laughs> staying true to myself. Um, while also growing. This is a purpose round where entrepreneurs, creatives, and social impactors are asked a series of questions that highlight their true purpose. Welcome to the purpose round where we ask the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind our entrepreneurs and their journey. Kofi, what is your purpose? Oh man, my purpose is to love the world with all my heart. Um, sounds a little bit uh, abstract. Uh, really, there's this tagline that I, I got from a gentleman by the name of Kwasi Kofeli. Um, and really, it's all about creating a space filled with learning, laughter, love, and endless possibilities. And I feel like that one phrase itself captures everything um, that I strive to be in, in all aspects of my life. Got you. What's your morning routine like? Jeez. Okay. So I'll tell you my morning routine when I'm, not, I'm at the top of my game and my morning routine when I'm struggling. I like, I like the transparency. I like that. <laughs> I, might, I might have to add that to the purpose round question because I know not everyone's morning routine is always on point. There has to be those days where it's, I like that. Okay. So when I'm at the top of my game, um, I know that I went to bed and I got enough sleep. So I'm up. Um, it doesn't always have to be like 5 a.m. It could be 10. Uh, really depends on when I start work. Um, I get up with enough time to have breakfast, to sit down, um, clean if I, if I need to, just have time to myself. Um, I have time to respond to emails, uh, DMs for art, um, and do a little bit of reading. Um, get to work on time, or if I'm not working, get to my art business. Um, connect with people, my family, my friends, um, make it to the gym. <laughs> like All the things that that really adds to my health. Like my, my diet, the times that I eat is on point. All of it aligns. That, those are more of my, my typical routines. When I'm not at the top of my game, it's a complete opposite. So I'm going to bed at 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and waking up at 8 o'clock. Um, already I have a deficit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, I have a deficit. 
Um, typically when I do that, I don't eat until like 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Um, and then throughout the day, I'm extremely sluggish. I'm able to get stuff done, but it's just not the same energy. Because um, my day has gone that, that route, I tend to stay up even later. And then when I stay up later, I end, I end up eating later. So now enters weight gain, sluggishness, um, lack of energy and motivation to get even more stuff done. And I find myself like digging a hole for myself, you know? Uh, what's interesting is regardless of what the routine is, I'm still able to get stuff done. Um, but really it's a question of um, maximizing on my potential versus literally just um, coasting on, you know, my, my talents. Okay. If you could have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, conversation with one person living or dead. Uh, that's a tough question, man. I have a lot of conversations. I've been like really blessed. I know a lot of amazing people. Um, shoot. I don't know the answer to that, man. It's a tough one, I know. It's yeah, I have, I have access to like a, a lot of brilliant minds. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll come back to it maybe. If, if, it sparks, if it sparks in your head, we'll, we'll come back to it. All right. Now, if you only had $100 to build your own business from scratch, how would you leverage that $100? Mm, great question. To build my business from scratch. Okay. $100. Uh, what other resources do I have at my disposal? Let's say you have everything else, but all you have is $100. So you have, you know, let's say, let's say today, right now, you start off with $100, that's all Kofi has. And you yeah. have a paintbrush, you have all the materials that you need, and you just have 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. All right, um, $100, that is going into paid ads. Got you. It's, it's literally going into paid ads. Um, why I say paid ads? Um, because if I already have the tools, if I have a cell phone you know, for social media, um, if I have the paintbrushes, the canvases, the paints, all that to create, all I got to do on my end is create, um, which I'm good at. Um, and the only step is to uh, tap into an audience that can see my work and, and purchase it. Um, from when the capital starts coming in, I'm able to divide my money into certain places. So advertisement, um, things like branding, um, but it's, it happens in stages. I think initially after the creation process, uh, I need to start bringing in capital so that I can slowly start to build different aspects of my business. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh man, the best advice I've ever received. 
<laughs> build yourself. It's just that simple. My mom uh, told me, Kofi, you have to build yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, what she's getting at is like, uh, at the end of the day, like you are just driving force um, for everything that you do. The people that you encounter, um, the businesses that you create, everything. So if you don't build yourself, then you're not operating um, as your best self. And if you're not operating as your best self, it's going to reflect in the things that you create. Relationships, products, businesses, ideas, all of it. So in building yourself, you, you're able to do a lot more. All right. And what would you say are your top three most influential books? Oh, I'd say The 48 Laws of Power. Um, there's a lot of debate around, you know, the energy behind that. Some people would say that uh, it's an extremely negative book. Um, I choose to see it as amoral. So there's a lot of powerful life lessons in there. And really, it's up to the person using those lessons to do good with or to do bad. Like you can literally spot certain things and know how to navigate, or you can use it to be very manipulative. You can use it to manipulate people. <laughs> um, with, 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 that, with that book, I, I have it, but I haven't read it yet. But when you read it, do you, is, does it like almost open up a whole new world for you where it's like, I know what this guy is doing. He's doing the thing from 48 Laws of Power, like, and he's actually doing it to manipulate people. Like, do you see that in real life? I, I do see it, but the connection isn't really um, that people are always doing it deliberately. Okay. So what I learned from that book is that it's human nature to put yourself in a position of power. Mm-hmm. Even if uh, you voluntarily put yourself in a position of solitude, um, servitude, you're still maintaining a, a position of power because you are putting yourself in that place. Mm. Um, they also say that subconsciously we do things to make sure that we're in a position of power. Um, so essentially, like some people, yes, are very intentional and deliberate in what they do. Other people they do it without even fully knowing. Um, but as somebody who's the recipient, it doesn't matter if they're doing, to, doing it to you on purpose or by accident. The fact that they're doing it to you, <laughs> you need to be able to respond. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely one book. Another book is um, From Superman to Man by J.A. Rogers. Um, it's a book about a well-traveled tra- slave who has a conversation with um, an extremely racist senator. And in that conversation, they go through every possible case that um, uh, white supremacists use to um, undermine the value of black folks. Uh, they go through everything from beauty, intelligence, contributions to the world, the whole list. And why it was so influential to me is because of the way that 
um, the former slave was able to navigate that conversation. He was so knowledgeable in everything that one, he was able to stay calm and, and literally fire back with facts that were, um, that you couldn't really debate. Hmm. And I, I looked at that and I was like, yo, that's a lot of power to have. Like to be able to like uh, engage in a conversation with somebody extremely ignorant and then have them take a step back to be like, oh, snap. <laughs> you know? Um, so th- that definitely uh, did a lot for me. Um, and then the last one was um, Tuesdays with Maury. It's about a student um, who has a professor, and the professor's, um, I think he's near death. He has cancer. So every Tuesday, the student goes to visit the professor and they have conversations about life. And one, I'm a big fan of like genuine, com- genuine interactions and conversations with people and learning from them. Um, but two, some of the topics that they covered about life really stuck out to me. So yeah, I'd say for now, those three have been the biggest influential books in my life. Got you. And is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Um, take personal inventory. Uh, the world always tries to tell you that you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Um, you don't fit into this box. You're not doing things the right way because this is the only way. Um, I would like to counter that by saying really get to know you and your value, um, both to your yourself, your family, and the world. Um, and then just explore the possibility of endless possibilities. Uh, and then you'll get creative in, in becoming successful and not have to depend on um, society's cookie-cutter way of doing things. And how can the Purposeful Story family stay connected with you? Uh, um, right now, I live on Instagram. So uh, Kofi's underscore art, K-O-F-I-S underscore A-R-T. Um, that's that's my, my name across all platforms. Uh, my website is launching really soon. It's going to be Kofi's Arts when it comes out. But uh, I'll make sure to hit you up first. <laughs> Just so you can participate in the launch. For sure. I'm definitely going to be blasting that. 100%. Kofi, appreciate you coming on the show today. My pleasure, man. And thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. This episode was brought to you by my senior editor, Podcast Doc. And the beats were created by DJ Nana. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. All it does is drive more listeners to the podcast as we continue to share more purposeful stories to your eardrums. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.